0: All Bones Considered, podcast number nine, January 2020. The Attorneys General, Richard Rush, Henry Gilpin, and Seven from Pennsylvania. Cemetery is a national historic landmark, an arboretum, a sculpture garden, a nature preserve, and an active cemetery in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It opened in 1836 and remains a popular visiting spot for thousands of people every year. Its sister cemetery, West Laurel Hill Cemetery, located across the Schuylkill River in Balla kinwood was founded in 1869 and has a history and a population of its own. Join me for the next 40 minutes or so and find out about several of our permanent residents. Richard Rush, who served in the cabinets of three presidents, had ran for vice president in 1832. Henry Gilpin, who had to argue the United States case in the Amistad affair. And seven Pennsylvania AGs, each with a fascinating story. I'm Joe Lex, your host for All Bones Considered, Laurel Hill Stories. Since my last name is Lex, I have a bit of an affinity for the law, but I never actually thought about going to law school. When I started this month's podcast, I knew I had good material on Richard Rush and on Henry Gilpin, but I wondered if I could scrape together enough material on the seven AGs who served just in Pennsylvania. I should not have worried. Every single one of them has a fascinating story worth sharing. I hope you will learn about them, too, in this edition of All Bones Considered, Laurel Hill Stories. It is entirely possible that you've never heard of one of the most significant figures of the early 19th century in the United States. You think I'm exaggerating? He was the 8th U.S. Attorney General, the 8th U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, and briefly U.S. Secretary of State all under three different presidential administrations. He was U.S. Minister to France and U.S. Minister to the United Kingdom. He ran for vice president on the 1828 Republican ticket and has a treaty named for him, which demilitarized the Canadian boundary and limited naval armaments in the Great Lakes. And he helped establish the Smithsonian Institution. Yet the first thing you notice about the inscription on his tombstone at Laurel Hill Cemetery is that he is described as son of Benjamin Rush, MD, signer of the Declaration of Independence. I guess we never escape our families. Born in 1780, Richard Rush was indeed the second son of the celebrated Benjamin Rush, a signer of the Declaration of Independence and father of American psychiatry. Richard's maternal grandfather, Richard Stockton of New Jersey was also a signer. Richard attended the College of New Jersey, now Princeton, where he excelled at debate and public speaking, graduating in 1797 as the youngest member of his class. He then started study of the law and was admitted to the bar in 1800 at age 20. Rush was a Federalist and deeply imbibed in the Republican principles of Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. He began his political career in 1807, attending a political meeting and giving a speech after the British attack on the U.S. frigate Chesapeake, one of the acts that led to the War of 1812. The Chesapeake was one of the six original frigates of the United States Navy built between 1794 and 1800, along with the United States, the Constellation, the Constitution, later nicknamed Old Ironside, the Congress, and the President. The Chesapeake, a 36-gun, three-masted frigate, was launched on December 2nd, 1799. In 1809, she came under the command of Stephen Decatur. She was decommissioned and sold for timber in 1819. The USS Constitution is still commissioned and resides in Boston Harbor. In 1808, Richard Rush gave a speech defending Colonel William Duane, editor of The Aurora who was prosecuted by the Commonwealth for libel upon Governor Thomas McKean, another signer of the Declaration of Independence. Duane is buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery in Section 11, Plots 107 to 112, while McKean is buried just a few feet from Rush in Section G, Plots 210 and 211 at Laurel Hill Cemetery. The next year, Rush married Miss Catherine Eliza Murray, daughter of Dr. James Murray of Annapolis, Maryland. In January 1811, Governor Simon Snyder appointed Richard as Attorney General of Pennsylvania. A month later, he survived a duel with Mr. Peter A. Brown of the Philadelphia Bar. Rush fired his pistol in the air and later made friends with Brown. Later in 1811, President James Madison selected him to succeed Judge Gabriel Duval as Comptroller of the Treasury of the United States a position which only lasted from 1789 to 1817. It is now called the Office of the General Counsel. When the War of 1812 broke out, Rush, aged 32, became intimate counsel to both President James Madison and Secretary of State James Monroe. Before the war concluded, President Madison offered him a choice of either the Treasury Department or Attorney Generalship. He chose the latter. While in this post, he superintended the publication of The Laws of the Nation in four volumes, published in 1815. Then in 1817, he was assigned to replace John Quincy Adams as minister in England, where he spent seven years at the Court of St. James's. He was 37 years old. When Adams succeeded Monroe as president, he brought Rush home to serve as Secretary of the Treasury. He served in this position with remarkable success during the entire Adams administration from March 7, 1825 until March 5, 1829. Notably, he paid off nearly the whole public debt and turned over to his successor a large Treasury surplus. In 1828, John Quincy Adams ran for re election as president. His vice president, John C. Calhoun, abandoned him to run with Andrew Jackson. Adams replaced Calhoun on his ticket with Richard Rush, but they lost to the Democratic candidate Andrew Jackson in an electoral vote of 178 to 83. Rush nonetheless went on to work for Jackson in settling the boundary dispute between Ohio and Michigan. Because of his extensive experience in England, he also followed Jackson's bidding in 1836 to collect the endowment of more than $500,000 left by the British scientist James Smithson, 1765-1829. Smithson left most of his wealth to his nephew, Harry James Hungerford, but when Hungerford died childless in 1835, the estate passed, quote, to the United States of America to found at Washington, under the name of the Smithsonian Institution, an establishment for the increase and diffusion of knowledge among men, unquote, in accordance with Smithson's will. Congress officially accepted the legacy bequeathed to the nation and pledged the faith of the United States to the Charitable Trust on July 1, 1836, under Martin Van Buren. The American diplomat Richard Rush was dispatched to England by President Andrew Jackson to collect the bequest. When Rush returned in August 1838, he had 105 sacks containing 104,960 gold sovereigns, about $500,000 at the time, which is equivalent to nearly $18 million in 2019. Rush also became one of the first regents of this institution. Shortly thereafter, Rush retired. But in 1847, when he was 67 years old, President James K. Polk unexpectedly appointed Rush as minister to France, a position previously held by Franklin, Jefferson, Monroe, Gallatin, the Brothers Livingston, and other eminent personages. He witnessed the Revolution of 1848 and was the first foreign minister to recognize the French government in that short-lived Second Republic. He served under the pleasure of the president until 1849, when the new Whig administration recalled him. He lived out his days in Philadelphia and was the last surviving member of both the Madison and Monroe Cabinets. The death of Richard Rush in 1859 was very widely noticed, both in the United States and in England, where he had lived for eight years. The subsequent publication of his memoranda, a work in two volumes, also made him widely known. Honorable Henry D. Gilpin, a vice president of the Historical Society of Pennsylvania and future U.S. Attorney General, said in his remarks, quote, Never since I have been connected with the society has it fallen to my lot to mourn with more distress the loss of a fellow member. His mind was richly stored, perhaps beyond any of his contemporaries, with the minute history of the men and times among which he lived. A Boston newspaper said the following, quote, He was a diplomat and statesman, a jurist, a scholar, and a writer, and he was of the first class in every one of those pursuits. The country will sincerely regret the death of one whose name carries the reader back to Jefferson's time and who is associated with a generation of great men, all of whom have passed away and whom he has gone to join after a long, pure, and useful life in the course of which he wronged no one, but bore himself as is conscious that he was responsible for the proper discharge of the talents entrusted to him. His name will have a high place in American history, and will figure there with equal honor, whether the historians shall write of our politics or our literature, end quote. Richard Rush, politician, diplomat, scholar, gentleman, buried at Laurel Hill in section P, lot 37. Henry D. Gilpin was the son of Joshua Gilpin, a prominent Philadelphia merchant, miller, and canal authority who lived at 149 South Water Street. Joshua, like his father, Thomas Gilpin, advocated the construction of a canal between the Delaware River and the Chesapeake Bay and served on the board of the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal Company for more than 20 years. During his grand tour of Europe from 1795 to 1801, Joshua studied antiquities, industrial processes, and canal engineering. There he met and married Mary Dilworth, daughter of a Lancaster banker and prominent Quaker in 1801. The eldest of eight children, Henry Dilworth Gilpin, was born in England before his parents returned to the United States. In 1816 he entered the University of Pennsylvania and graduated in 1819 at age 18. He studied Latin, Greek, Italian, and French, and in September of that year, he entered the office of Joseph Reed Ingersoll to study law. Ingersoll later served as U.S. minister to Great Britain in 1853. While still a law student in Ingersoll's office, Gilpin gained his introduction to the business world as secretary-treasurer of the Chesapeake and Delaware Company, which by then had become moribund but was revived in 1821 at the instigation of Philadelphians, particularly publisher Matthew Carey. In 1822, Gilpin was admitted to the bar and soon thereafter was admitted to practice before the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. While actively serving as a lawyer, he supplemented his income from 1825 to 1831 by serving as editor of the first important gift book published in the United States, The Atlantic Souvenir. He received $100. In 1828, Gilpin brought out the second edition of John Sanderson's biography of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, to which he made numerous changes and additions. After the American Quarterly Review was established in Philadelphia in 1827, Gilpin regularly contributed essays on literary criticism, geographical research and travels, the fine arts, and biography. In 1830, Gilpin caught Andrew Jackson's attention with his essay, A Memorial of Sundry Citizens of Pennsylvania Relative to the Treatment and Removal of the Indians. In 1831, he was appointed as Attorney of the United States for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, an office vacated by Gilpin's friend and mentor, George M. Dallas, upon his election to the United States Senate. Gilpin campaigned vigorously for Andrew Jackson in the 1832 election, and he fought against Nicholas Biddle and the renewal of the charter of the Bank of the United States. When Van Buren was elected president, he named Gilpin the Solicitor of the Treasury, Then, in 1840, Gilpin succeeded Felix Grundy as Attorney General of the United States, right in the middle of the Amistad Affair. La Amistad, Spanish for friendship, was a 19th century two-masted schooner owned by a Spaniard living in Cuba. It became renowned in July 1839 for a slave revolt by its 49 Mende captives who had been enslaved in Sierra Leone and were being transported from Havana, Cuba, to their purchases sugar plantations on the other side of the island. The African captives, led by the slave Joseph Cinque, took control of the ship, killed some of the crew, and ordered the survivors to sail the ship back to Africa. The Spanish survivors sailed east during daylight hours, but secretly maneuvered the ship north at night. La Amistad was captured off the coast of Long Island on August 26th by the brig USS Washington. The Mende and La Amistad were interned in Connecticut while federal court proceedings were undertaken for their disposition. By the time the case reached the courts, there were many people with claims. Lieutenant Thomas R. Gedney filed a lawsuit for salvage rights to the African captives and cargo on board La Amistad as property seized on the high seas. Henry Green and Palacia Fordham filed a libel for salvage, claiming that they had been the first to discover La Amistad. Jose Ruiz and Pedro Montez filed libels requesting that their property of slaves and cargo be returned to them. The Office of the United States Attorney for the District of Connecticut, representing the Spanish government, argued that the slaves, cargo, and vessel be returned to Spain as its property. Antonio Vega, vice Consul of Spain, requested return of, quote, the slave Antonio, end quote, on the grounds that this man was his personal property. And the Africans denied that they were slaves or property and argued that the court could not, quote, return them to the control of the government in Spain. Because of issues of ownership and jurisdiction, the case gained international attention. Known as United States v. Schooner Amistad, 1841, the case was finally decided by the Supreme Court of the United States. It was probably the most important decision about slavery prior to the 1857 Dred Scott decision. On February 23, 1841, Attorney General Henry D. Gilpin began his oral argument phase before the Supreme Court. Gilpin first entered into evidence the papers of La Amistad, which stated that the Africans were Spanish property and argued that the court had no authority to rule against the validity of the documents. Gilpin also contended that if the Africans were slaves, as evidenced by the documents, then they must be returned to their rightful owner, in this case, the Spanish government. As a Quaker, Gilpin was arguing the law and not his personal feelings. His argument lasted two hours. On the next day, former United States President and current Massachusetts Representative John Quincy Adams powerfully argued the case for the slaves. After deliberation, the United States Supreme Court announced its decision on March 9th with the majority opinion written by Joseph Story. The main decision was in favor of the Menda, restoring their freedom. It became a symbol in the United States in the movement to abolish slavery. When Steven Spielberg made the movie Amistad in 1997, Henry Gilpin's role was completely eliminated. The internet movie database does not even mention his name. In 1841, Gilpin retired the active political scene and returned to Philadelphia. He was only 41 years old. He continued to write and publish extensively. In his later life, he became president of the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, vice president of the Historical Society of Pennsylvania, to which he bequeathed his personal papers, a director of Girard College, and a trustee of the University of Pennsylvania. In 1855, Gilpin was collecting material for a biography of his former political associate Joel R. Poinsett, one-time ambassador to Mexico and Secretary of War under Martin Van Buren. Poinsett is also the man for whom the Christmas flower, the poinsettia, is named. Gilpin died in 1860 at age 59. He is buried under a comparatively small, melting marble obelisk in Section R, Lot 79. Next time you're at Laurel Hill, visit him on your way to see Sarah Josepha Hale. They're just a few dozen feet apart. In addition to the two United States Attorneys General, there are five Pennsylvania Attorneys General buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery and two more at West Laurel Hill Cemetery. Each of their stories is fascinating, but I'll spend just a minute or so on each of them. Thomas Sargent and his twin Henry were born in 1782 in Philadelphia. Thomas graduated from the College of New Jersey in 1798 and was admitted to the Philadelphia Bar in 1802. In 1812, he married Sarah Bache, a daughter of Sarah Franklin Bache, who was a daughter of Benjamin Franklin. Thomas served in the state legislature from 1812 to 1814 and was an associate judge of the District Court of Philadelphia from 1814 to 1817. He was secretary of the Commonwealth from 1817 to 1819 when he was appointed state attorney general and served in that capacity for 18 months. From 1828 to 1832, he was postmaster of Philadelphia. In 1832, his brother John Sargent was the unsuccessful vice presidential candidate on Henry Clay's ticket when they lost in a landslide to Andrew Jackson. John is buried in section L, lots one through seven. He's our second failed vice presidential candidate after Richard Rush. Thomas briefly served as associate justice of the state Supreme Court for two years before returning to private practice. He then served as president of the Law Academy and a trustee of the University of Pennsylvania. Sargent wrote several books on Pennsylvania law. When he died in 1860, he was laid to rest in Section 2, Lot 156 at Laurel Hill Cemetery. John Kinsink Kane was born in Albany, New York in 1795. He attended Yale College, graduating in 1814, and was admitted to the bar in 1817. He was in private practice in Philadelphia from 1817 to 1824, when he became state representative for two years. He was originally a federalist, but at the time of Andrew Jackson, became a very strong Democrat. He was then attorney for the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal Company, which I mentioned earlier. He was city solicitor for Philadelphia in 1828 to 1830, and again briefly in 1832, when he was appointed U.S. commissioner to settle claims with France from 1832 to 1836, He then returned to private practice from 1836 to 1845. He served as Attorney General for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania from 1845 to 1846, then was nominated by James K. Polk to be Judge U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania in 1846, and he served in that role until his death in 1858. In 1819, Kane had married Jane Duvall Leeper, the daughter of Thomas Leeper, a founder of the Philadelphia City Troop and a veteran of the Revolutionary War, who is buried in Section H, Lot 13, 20, 25, and 26. One of John's sons was Elijah Kent Kane, famed polar explorer, whom I talked about in podcast number two. Another son, Thomas Leeper Kane, was an attorney, abolitionist, and military officer influential in the Western migration of the Latter-day Saints movement. John, wife Jane, son Elijah, and other Kanes are interred in the family crypt at Laurel Hill Cemetery in Section P, Lot 100, up a steep grade from Kelly Drive. Lewis Cochran Cassidy was born in New York City in 1829, but his family came to Philadelphia a short time later. He attended Central High School and learned the practice of law under Benjamin Brewster, being admitted to the bar in 1849. Benjamin Brewster, buried at Woodlands Cemetery, served as U.S. Attorney General under Chester Arthur from 1881 to 1885. Cassidy quickly became involved in politics and was elected to the State House for the 1851 term. He was 22 years old. By 1856, he was recognized as a political boss, and his influence helped get Richard Vaux elected as city mayor. Vaux is buried at South Laurel Hill, section 4, lots 116 and 117. During the Civil War, he was a staunch Union man, and he became a local leader of Democratic Party politics. He sat on the Philadelphia school board for many years. An opponent of fugitive slave laws, he worked for the education of the poor, particularly African-American children. His support helped Robert E. Pattison become governor, the state's only democratic governor between the Civil War and the Great Depression. Pattison is buried at West Laurel Hill Cemetery, Marion Section, Lot 409. Pattison appointed Cassidy State Attorney General in 1883. He served for four years. Cassidy's wife, Sally Truman Cassidy, died while he was in office. And Cassidy himself died shortly thereafter in 1889 at age 60. His obituary describes him as a prickly sort, brusque and repellent to those he disliked. Lewis and Sally are buried in Section T, Lot 10 of Laurel Hill Cemetery. The Lewis C. Cassidy Academics Plus School, built from 1922 to 1924, is a historic elementary school located in the Morris Park neighborhood of Philadelphia. Hampton Lawrence Carson was born in 1852. His father, Joseph Carson, was a professor of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Carson graduated from the University of Penn in 1871 and its law school in 1874 at age 22. He then entered private practice. He was known as a legal scholar and historian who edited the Legal Gazette. He eventually became president of the American Bar Association and president of the Historical Society of Pennsylvania. He was a professor with the Penn Law School from 1895 to 1901. In 1899, Carson was elected to the advisory board to take charge of and collect historical relics for the Museum of Independence Hall. A story covered in detail by Becky Aker in her fascinating 1991 article, Philadelphia's Gallery of Sacred Fakes. In 1902, he argued before the Supreme Court for the plaintiff in Lone Wolf versus Hitchcock, a Kiowa chief versus the Secretary of the Interior, charging that Native American tribes under the Medicine Lodge Treaty had been defrauded of land by congressional actions in violation of the treaty. The court ruled that Congress has plenary power to abrogate treaty obligations between the United States and Native American tribes unilaterally. It was a unanimous decision. In 1903, he was appointed state attorney general and served until 1907. Carson was also known for his extensive collection of legal books, papers, documents, and portraits. When he died in 1929, he was laid to rest in Section J, Lot 217 of Laurel Hill. Moses Hampton Todd was born in 1845 in Philadelphia. His father, James Todd, was a lawyer who served as Pennsylvania's Attorney General from 1835 to 1838, but is buried elsewhere. During the Civil War, he was made an engineering attaché by General William Tecumseh Sherman and took a prominent part in railroad and bridge construction in the campaign prior to the fall of Chattanooga. He was admitted to the Bar of Philadelphia in 1869, and he opened his own office in 1875. Moses Todd was known as a lawyer's lawyer and an outstanding expert on equity law. He also served as president of the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Todd had been personal advisor to Mayor Edwin Sidney Stewart of Philadelphia from 1891 to 1895. So when Stewart was elected state governor in 1906, he appointed Mr. Todd attorney general. He's best known for handling the so-called Capitol Graft case that grew out of the rebuilding of the state capitol in Harrisburg after it had been destroyed by fire in February 1897. The final bill was three times what had been bid, and five prominent men went to jail based on evidence obtained by Todd. One of those convicted was famed architect Joseph Miller Houston. Moses Hampton Todd died at age 90 in 1935. He's buried in Section W, Lot 23 of Laurel Hill Cemetery. We can move across the Schuylkill River now to West Laurel Hill Cemetery and find two more attorneys general, William Schaefer and William Schneider, both in the Hanover section. William Irwin Schaefer was born in 1867 and grew up in Chester. He left school early and worked as an assistant in a law office. He was admitted to the bar of Delaware County in 1888 on his 21st birthday, the legal minimum. After serving two terms as District Attorney for Delaware County, he was appointed Attorney General by Governor William Cameron Spruill. But he served for less than two years before Governor Spruill appointed him as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania in 1920. He served there for 20 years before he was made Chief Justice a position he held for three years before stepping down at age 75. Schaefer was implicated, along with Justice John W. Kephart, in a Senate Banking Commission investigation ...as being on a J.P. Morgan preferred list... ...allowing them steeply discounted prices... ...on the purchase of certain securities. Governor Pinchot actually asked them to resign... ...but they denied any impropriety. Schaefer died in 1953. He's buried at West Laurel Hill Cemetery... ...in Hanover Section, Lot 26. Our seventh Attorney General is William Abraham Schneider, ...born in 1886 graduated from Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster in 1908. He earned his law degree from the University of Pennsylvania Law School, where he then taught from 1914 to 1922, as well as at the Wharton School of Finance. He was appointed Attorney General of Pennsylvania by Governor John Fisher in 1930 and continued to serve when Governor Gifford Pinchot was re-elected to a second non-contiguous term. He ran unsuccessfully for governor in 1935, losing to Democrat George Howard Earle, the first Republican loss in the 20th century. Schneider tried to return to his old law firm with his brilliant protege and deputy attorney general, Bernard Siegel, who was Jewish, but no major Philadelphia law firm would hire a Jewish lawyer. Instead, Schneider turned to his law school colleague Francis Lewis, and the three formed the law firm of Schneider and Lewis. In 1935, they opened their doors on the 17th floor of the Packard Building at 15th and Chestnut Streets. It was the first religiously integrated firm in Philadelphia. The next year, they handled their first case before the United States Supreme Court. Hill versus Martin concerning inheritance tax under the full faith and credit clause of the constitution. Schneider suffered a stroke in 1940, so Bernard Siegel took on his workload and the firm changed its name to Schneider, Siegel and Lewis, despite warnings that doing so would cost the firm business because of Mr. Siegel's religion. As a result, the firm was unable to engage local clients for the next decade. And in response, the firm sought out nationwide companies. The firm of Schneider, Harrison, Siegel & Lewis, LLL, currently employs 160 attorneys at seven offices and is one of the most distinguished law firms in the country. I suggest you go to www.schnader.com and read their remarkable history, especially the section on Bernard Siegel. William Schneider died in 1968 at age 77. He's buried in Hanover section, lot 43 of West Laurel Hill Cemetery. Next time, in the February edition of All Bones Considered, it's full, F-O-A-L, Friends of Abraham Lincoln. Admiral John Dahlgren, inventor of the Dahlgren gun, was a good friend of Abraham Lincoln, visiting him weekly just to share stories and talk. John's son Ulrich frequently came along and ended up being one of the most controversial people in the Civil War. And while everyone knows Reverend Phineas Gurney preached the sermon for Lincoln's funeral at the White House, it was another Lincoln confidant, Methodist minister Reverend Matthew Simpson, who had the honor of fulfilling those duties in Springfield, Illinois. The first two are buried at Laurel Hill. Reverend Simpson is at West Laurel Hill. We will hear about them in the February edition. Laurel Hill Cemetery is located at 3822 Ridge Avenue in the East Falls section of Philadelphia, just a block from the SEPTA 61 bus stop at Ridge and Allegheny. Admission is free, as is parking in the lot across the street. West Laurel Hill Cemetery is at 225 Belmont Avenue in Ballack-Kinwood, with parking available at the main entrance and at the Bell Tower. Both Laurel Hills are open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. from May to October and from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. November through April. You could wander on your own or take one of more than 100 guided tours given by knowledgeable volunteer guides every year or download the app for both cemeteries and chart your own way across the property. Find out more at www.thelaurelhillcemetery.org. Or www.westlaurelhill.com. Once you've fallen in love with these hot spots, become a friend of Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill, and you have the opportunity for several members only special tours conducted each year. They may be cemeteries, but they are a couple of the liveliest spots in town. I'm Joe Lex, reminding you to keep body and soul together until next time on All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories where the plot thickens. Much of the material on Richard Rush came from a graduate dissertation by Elliot Drago, submitted at Temple University in 2017. Its title is Neither Northern or Southern, The Politics of Slavery and Freedom in Philadelphia, 1820-1847. to 1847. There are also several biographies of Rush available. My primary source for Henry Gilpin was Henry D. Gilpin, a Pennsylvania Jacksonian by Ralph D. Gray from Pennsylvania History, a journal of Mid-Atlantic Studies, volume 37, number 4, October 1970, pages 340 to 351. Each of the Pennsylvania AGs had a brief Wikipedia biography, So I resorted to old newspapers and most of the information I got came from the obituaries that were published there. One exception is the website of Schneider.com, which gives a long fascinating history of the law firm from its beginning. I also refer you to what seems a little known fact about independence hall, that many of the paintings of founding fathers were fakes. Check out Philadelphia's gallery of sacred fakes by Becky Briseaker From the Pennsylvania Magazine of History and Biography, Volume 115, Number 1, January 1991, pages 89 to 114. Thanks for listening.